we're looking for impact at the individual exchanges to keep people safe, get what they need, greater accountability. The impact at projects and program level to make sure that as a sector we're accountable and delivering what people need and require in the most effective, efficient way. And system-wide trends and analysis to help inform some of these really broad sector-wide um, discussions and debates that are going on. Now, we may disagree on this a little bit. Calling the next Grand Bargain the Great Leap Sideways. This is the podcast from hell. Grand Bargain. Decolonizing aid. COP26. Humanity. Humanitarian action takes place at the edge of chaos. And to find the right answers, we need smart, honest conversations. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to Humanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. It has been a while since we last published an episode. My day job with ACAPS has kept me extremely busy, but I hope that you have spent the time catching up on old episodes. Now we're back and we have a number of interesting conversations lined up for you. The first one with Talk to Loop. Talk to Loop is a new project in the accountability space. And my guests, Alex Ross, Avianto Amri and Robert Wambu, together work on providing a tech platform that enable humanitarian actors to collectively work with feedback in a better way. Alex leads the project globally, Avianto in Indonesia and Robert in Somalia. Now, if you ask me whether Talk to Loop is going to disrupt the accountability space and make us more accountable as an industry, the answer is I don't know. I think it's too early to say yet. What I do know is that the project has a really interesting approach and is off to a good start. Ultimately, its impact will depend on the ability to learn and evolve. You'll hear a really interesting discussion towards the end of the conversation where we talk about the disruptive potential and how to best position a project such as Loop within the humanitarian architecture. I should mention that when we recorded, Alex, Robert and Avianto were scattered across the globe in Somalia, Indonesia and the UK, and the sound quality is not always the best. I hope that doesn't detract too much from your listening experience. As always, you can help us out by making noise on social media. We like all kinds of feedback, positive and negative. It would also be great if you could recommend the show to your friends and colleagues. But as always, the most important thing is enjoy the conversation. Alex Ross, Robert Bamboo, and Avianto Amri, welcome to True Humanitarian. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lars. Pleasure to be here. Alex, you're in London, Robert, you're in Mogadishu, and Avianto, you're in Jakarta. And what the three of you have in common is that you work with a new organization called Talk to Loop. And let's begin with that. Alex, what, what is Talk to Loop? Uh, where did the idea come from and what do you do? Thanks for that, Laz. Um, so the problem has been identified since 2005. So it's not a new problem about accountability and local people being at the center of humanitarian response. Um, many different approaches have been trialed since then. There have been a stronger and a growing commitment and interest around accountability, what's now called accountability to affected populations. So LOOP isn't a new idea and it's not a silver bullet by any stretch of the imagination. But rather it's an opportunity that we've got as a result of the technological revolution. So five years ago, I don't think we... Um, 
could have used a tool like Loop. And in the, another five years, I think we'll be able to do and reach a whole lot further through the technology that's being developed in the private sector that we're then kind of cutting and pasting to be appropriate for uh, helping in humanitarian response, but also development in other um, areas. And how would you describe that core technology? Yeah, so what is it? It's a... Um, It's designed to um, have across the language and literacy barriers. So at the moment, it's available in 15 different languages and three different scripts. But the core technology is built in a way to have over 100 languages and to cater for every script. Um, it crosses the literacy barriers. Um, so it, people can uh, input into Loop through um, a mechanism and on a device that they can already get access to in a way that they're used to. So in the in the um, Indonesia, for example, lots of people use WhatsApp. So they can input into Loop using WhatsApp. In the Philippines, they like Facebook Messenger. They use the lo-fi technology there. They can input. In Somalia, however, obviously, literacy, illiteracy is higher, and they prefer to use voice. So we've got this interactive voice where they can choose their language that they feel comfortable communicating in and leave voice messages about what's important to them. And then we can close that um, message back with them with voice in their chosen language. So it kind of integrates across different languages and different input channels to enable people to communicate openly and safely with each other. So your platform goes to the channel where people already operate, be that WhatsApp or voice or, or messaging. It's able to do stuff with languages so that we can participate more broadly. But what is it that people do with this platform? What What's the use case? Anybody can feed back about what's important to them at any time. And so we can see, for example, in the Philippines, people have been using it in a sudden onset emergency, saying something's coming, um, there's a crisis coming, prepare yourself. Then they can use it to say, I'm in this situation, there's 10 people on the house over there, we need help, or um, thank you for the food that we just got from the shelter, now we need X, Y, and Z, on into recovery. They've also been using it for election preparedness um, discussions. In Somalia, a lot of it is um, through voice. Um, thank you for the cash, uh, I thought it was going to arrive yesterday, we haven't received it yet, asking information that they'll be communicating within the communities anyway and helping to get that to tagging in organizations um, that can respond to them. And so that's people on and off beneficiary lists. Uh, organizations can proactively ask people to use um, and to feedback through Loop as part of their broader um, m &E or feedback mechanisms. But sometimes we see People also feeding back on Loop because it's independent and it's they can anonymize themselves with technology. So reporting things like fraud or um, sexual exploitation, gender-based violence, etc. So it's a really um, it's the idea is that it's based around what does a local person want to say, and then how can we get that to people who can help and support them. So essentially, it's a platform that lowers the barriers for recipients of humanitarian aid to speak to the people who provide it. And for the people who provide it to respond to them directly. Let, let's maybe jump to uh, Somalia. And uh, Robert, tell us about uh, Talk to Loop in Somalia. What, who, how many are you? What do you do? How many people do you engage with? Well, uh, we, we uh, got into to know actually Loop um, about two years ago. 
and uh, at that time it was essential uh, because we have had this space where we've been working um, on feedback mechanisms, a lot of them uh, traditional feedback mechanisms that uh, basically um, have served their time and uh, we thought uh, with the new technology we hadn't uh, upgraded the way we were receiving um, uh, you know, the feedback from the communities. And uh, as this uh, the situation and, and, and the, the, the humanitarian world uh, became even more aware of uh, trying to ensure that the feedback from um, the beneficiaries was critical in both supporting the implementation of various projects and ensuring accountability, especially for the actions. And just like Alex has mentioned them, it goes all the way even to issues on protection. I think, uh, therefore, then uh, we we have always relied on the more traditional uh, kind of ways into getting or to getting the feedback from communities. And when we talk of feedback, we are talking of two-way uh, kind of communication. We are talking of uh, getting to know from the end of beneficiaries, and also they they have to know from our end. Of course, um, it's uh, not easy, like. Um, Alex has mentioned, because um, there are challenges, and mainly um, the realization, of course, of course, was always that um, the traditional mechanisms were not uh, going to serve in, in the new ways that we were thinking of trying to ensure the feedback from communities. So when you say we, Robert, who, who are we? Yeah, we, we have a consortium of uh, organizations called Nexus uh, specifically. So we are about uh, two international organizations and uh, seven local organizations. And uh, why we we came together as a consortium just to, again, interpret another way of uh, delivery of humanitarian um, aid that uh, we call it uh, the Nexus. And that's basically taking the humanitarian Taking the development and also uh, also advancing peace, so linking those three together. You are seven local organizations. You are two international organizations. You come together. You say we don't see the difference between working on peace development and humanitarian. It's the same people. We want to work holistically, and the feedback mechanisms we have don't really work. So let's go with loop. So I, I have two questions there. One is, what was missing in the other feedback mechanisms? And what is it that Loop does that the others didn't? What was uh, missing is uh, actually the reach um, that you have with the traditional systems. Uh, basically, the, the, the systems will require either you, you have a face-to-face, um, you know, what you call focus group discussion with beneficiaries, you can have a system where you have your suggestion box somewhere uh, outside the organization or within the administrative capital where people can comment. You can have a, a, a telephone system, um, you know, um, a dedicated phone system where you give out the number and uh, they can always call you and raise and, and respond and uh, report to you. And so th- these are the kind of mechanisms. But when you look at them, um, they have always been, uh, uh, they, they, they required you to either prompt them or be there physically for them to work. I mean, for face-to-face, you must be in the field. 
and basically the, there are many many challenges if you look at it uh, logistically i've always pointed out that somalia if you look at the expanse the land mass in somalia um, is quite quite huge if you that i have traveled to look for i mean to um, uh, monitor projects on a single day 200 kilometers one way and i'm not talking of two projects i'm talking of one project 200 one way and 200 back Thanks, Robert. Um, Avianzo, if we look at how things are in Indonesia, are you also a consortium of organizations sort of using this software, Talk to Loop, or how is it set up there? Uh, thank you very much, Lars. So, Loop in Indonesia is being operated by a social enterprise called Predict, which uh, I am the CEO of. Uh, and uh, we have a steering uh, committee. Uh, which comprise of a uh, number of international and national organizations, uh, consists of uh, UNICEF, WHO, UNF, UNFPA, Plan International, the Indonesian Society for Disaster Management, and IOM. So uh, basically, uh, uh, Predict is uh, running the platforms and tools, and we promote the use of it among uh, humanitarian organizations as well as uh, informed it to the communities uh, but we are uh, in close coordination with our uh, steering, steering board and and for you what has been the biggest value add of talk to loop what, what can you do now that you couldn't do before from our experience uh, we had one uh, where we have this volcano eruption uh, that happens a few uh, in early this year uh, and then we uh, we visited the communities and used Loop uh, to ask their stories, uh, what uh, what experience that they have, uh, what do they feel, and what. Uh, so we gather around four hundred uh, stories coming from four hundred peoples, and what we found is really interesting on how the existing uh, the current interventions impacting their lives. Uh, and, and the specific that I, I'm talking about is where they are being relocated from their previous areas into a new complex. Uh, and we ha- we've seen concerns uh, coming from them, uh, hopes and expectations, etc. And what's I think what's unique from coming from Loop is that it's uh, because it's digitalized so that it's easy to record. Uh, the people themselves, they can... Uh, use their own language, they can share their own stories. Uh, and then for us, uh, analyzing 400 stories using Loop is really e- easy. Uh, and and we can easily analyze and see what, what types of concerns that uh, the, the people have, what kind of expectations and what kind of uh, uh, feedbacks that are coming from the communities. Great. Now, Alex, uh, we've, we've heard two examples here from Somalia and from Indonesia around how talk to loop is, is used. And you are the director or CEO of talk to loop uh, at the global level. How, how many uh, countries have you deployed the solution to? So we're in six different countries and it's uh, adapted and to, 
contextualized in every country, so different languages, different input channels that different communities within those countries use. It's always hosted by a what we call a charitable franchise, so an organization that's already trusted and well embedded and part of the national ecosystem uh, invites Loop to the country and hosts it on behalf of the other actors that are there, both international and national, civil society, government authorities, etc. So they're providing like a global public good for their national context and that looks very very different in every, every context so at the moment Indonesia Somalia the Philippines um, Zambia Ukraine and Poland yeah they are very different countries obviously and, and faced with very different situations but what can you see from your position in terms of of the similarities and the differences in the way in which the way in which loop adds value in these contexts? Um, so we're starting to see different types of... So the, the first part is that it looks very different in every context. So you might say, well, loop is just a technological solution that's cut and copy-paste from the top down and, um, you know, that's not really locally owned, accountable, etc. But that's not... That, based on the structure that we've set up with it being locally owned and operated, the... Ex- what I hadn't expected when starting out is how different it would look in every country and how that is a positive um, aspect of being able to be adapted. Um, The other thing that we're seeing is different uses. So um, host organizations are advertising it differently. They're getting different types of actors on board and they're hearing different things back. And the other thing is how that changes over time. So in one country you might you can start to map the different types of things that are important to different communities over time. So we're still very small scale, but we're starting to see patterns um, of um, um, patterns of clusters of red flags, for example, around where there's certain issues that are happening, beneficiary list manipulation or gender-based violence that are coming out that are quite anonymized and ag- but at the aggregate level, you can start to pick out a picture that you wouldn't have been able to action on before by an individual piece of feedback. The other thing that we're seeing is uh, stories coming through that aren't necessarily about what the uh, organizations are being t- uh, uh, that's not their area of responsibility so people who are off beneficiary lists for example and what are their priorities or on beneficiary lists but actually wanting something a little bit different to what's being delivered to them um, and and just as with most feedback uh, over 65 percent of it is positive it's saying thank you this has changed my life this is great so it's not all about complaints and you know, negative reports. There are a lot of lovely, very heartwarming stories on there as well. That is an incredibly important point to to remember also, of course. Maybe I can ask Avianto, um now Alex mentioned that sometimes you through loop see things you did not know. What were some what are some of the things that have surprised you about the feedback you're getting? One other thing that is unique as well with Loop is that it's not agency specific. It's more uh, neutral and it's uh, it's available anytime anywhere so meaning that it doesn't have to be uh, specific to uh, when the when the particular project is being implemented so even after the project has been finished uh, they can still share the stories through loop uh, and the thing the interesting things that we come up from the luma gel response is I think one of the uh, the the uh, uh, the one thing that we usually 
thought the most challenging things on relocation is about livelihoods and where people are being uh, relocated. The, uh, the concern is how they can make a, a decent income. But apparently, uh, there's a lot of also interesting stories about uh, concerns about their children' well-being. Uh, there are some stories saying that uh, right now my uh, children's school is far away, so I'm uh, I have to pay more to to transport them uh, every day uh, to go, for them to go to the to the same school, uh, and then it's uh, becoming uh, a bit. Uh, take longer days on them, uh, and then also they can uh, they cannot farm again uh, in their newly complex. When before they uh, they have a more uh, wide space for for farming in their gardens. So those things is really interesting for me, uh, and it's not just about the perspective coming from the the adults, but also about that uh, children are also being impacted with their locations, and and that's just one of the sample that we got. So those are really good examples of, of insights coming out from Loop. We we talk about this being a two-way communication. So so of course it's interesting to know what what do the organizations then do differently when they get in this information? What do they actually do when they're told, oh, you know, I have to pay so much for school transport that I can't afford something? What what's the reaction? Uh, well, the interesting thing is this is a government-led project. So uh, in Indonesia, a feedback mechanism for the government is not really uh that receptive <laughs> but but it is uh, a work in progress we are we're very pleased that we have loop and we are able to capture the stories uh and then we uh, communicate those feedback to the government especially the, the central government on that uh uh, uh it, it is uh uh it is something that we we are still advocating uh for the for for the particular relocation projects uh, and also we see these days that uh, in Indonesia, with the number of disasters kept increasing, the government, uh, uh, from the local to all the way to the central government, they are now uh, being more uh, receptive or more uh, promoting relocations to, for people to go to the safer area. Uh, but meanwhile, we know that a lot of relocation projects didn't go, didn't work well. Uh, there's a lot of issues. Uh, there's a lot of concerns. Uh, that's not just happening during the relocation process, but also right uh, after even a year, two years after that. So these are an ongoing uh, uh, advocacy and, and also efforts from us. But also uh, we are uh, getting a lot of uh, positive uh, support coming from the non-government side as well. So with this data uh, coming from the Lumajang, we're able to uh, building uh, uh, like a, a group or a coalitions of non-NGOs that uh, have, so we can amplify our voices and, and raise our concerns to the governments. In, in terms of scale, you say you have 400 stories from this uh, volcano operation. How many beneficiaries, no, how many people received assistance for that operation? So, so in other words, how per thousand uh, recipients, how many stories do you get? Well, the, the total uh, families that are being relocated is about 2,000 families. Uh, and we were able to get that 400 stories on that. Uh, but, uh, but in terms of scale in, in Indonesia, it's, there's so many humanitarian actors on the ground and there's so many uh, number of disasters kept increasing. 
what's our concern is actually right now uh, with, the, with the increasing number of uh, disasters, there's a lot of new organizations. There's a lot of uh, organizations uh, who are formed because of that humanitarian situations, or there are organizations who are, are forced to to respond to the humanitarian uh, situation. Uh, and these are uh, organizations that may not uh, know about humanitarian standards, the humanitarian principles, etc. So uh, this is our ways to reach out, uh, saying to the communities that you have uh, a tool to raise your uh, concerns or your voices and your stories. And also with this uh, new organizations or other new organizations to say that uh, you don't need to make their, your own systems. You know, uh, there is already a tools that you can readily uh, use. Uh, and then we, uh, we are here to support you. And I must say 400 stories out of a group of 2,000 families, that's a lot. You must have, I think you have quite a, a good sample there and must be able to, to have a fairly strong feel for what actually is going on with, with the people who were relocated. Yes, well, we're, we're quite convinced with the, with the number of stories that we collected uh, represent the views of the people there. Uh, we are also working with the local volunteers, volunteers as well in, in trying to have them to, to share their stories. Uh, but it is, uh, it is, uh, it is uh, 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 not an easy task to convince uh, local governments and also with the southern governments on, on this. What's interesting as well these days is uh, government these days, uh, or uh, I can say it for Indonesia, they prefer speed. So. Uh, I think the concerns are genuine that they want to help the people, that, but they uh, they really want to have a speedy response. Uh, but uh, the quality sometimes uh, lacking or uh, questionable. So that's our concerns. And when you come and show them feedback that is not all positive, what do you get? Do you get a sort of defensive pushback or do they go, oh, that's interesting, we didn't know that. How, how do uh, the local government actually react? Uh, what's interesting is uh, some people in the government also aware of that, uh, but they do not want to raise that publicly. Uh, so, uh, and I still have a lot of confidence or optimism that uh, people in Indonesia do have uh, good intention. They want to really help people, uh, but but they're being forced to uh, to to speed up their the response, right? So. Uh, in uh, behind the scenes, they're they're very happy with us. They're they're okay, but they cannot show that publicly, saying that oh, we did something wrong, <laughs> and that uh, so uh, so we are working with them, uh, and uh, and we try to see how we can make it better. Uh, if if not for this response, uh, at least for future responses, because in Indonesia, disasters is not a question of if it's a it's a when are you going to have the next disasters. So, so at the global level, Alex, what can you see in terms of the way organizations respond to the stories coming from the communities? Um, so some examples at the country level is that um, in the Philippines, they use the data um, of people after the cyclone and the needs that they had to pull together a program proposal to get funding to respond to the specific needs and how they changed over time. So that's definitely on a very practical project to project level. Um, on an individual to individual level, we see that people are using Loop to get around systems that are failing them. So if they've reported something in um, 
uh, something sensitive in through a route that they knew about and they haven't received a reply. Um, then they've gone around that to an independent actor like Loop and then we've been able to um, advocate on their behalf or take it to other actors that maybe they couldn't get access to because of language or other barriers for them. Um, so, uh, But then I think at the global level, we're still too early. So it's quite a new concept. Um, we we need to be able to get more data in to be able to show sort of country level or larger systemic wide issues. But because the data is open, the statistics page is there, it's in real time, it's updated, you can filter it, there is potential for that to happen. And we can start to see that at the country level, um, like these clusters of stories and different types of ch changes going, across, going along. So Robert said his system's down, he's coming back. So Alex, you, you mentioned earlier that that uh, for the past 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of focus on accountability, on, on a more active feedback loop. And there's been a number of different initiatives. I, I know a number of different organizations who work in this space, you Ground Truth Solutions, uh, CDAC, uh, Internews, uh, yourselves, I'm, I'm sure there's some I forget. BBC Media Action, you could argue, is, is somehow uh, also involved in this space. How do you fit in? So I see Loop as complementary. There's a lot of this talk and commitment because we there's not a, we're not getting enough accountability, enough voices up at the right levels at the right times to inform humanitarian action and to keep people safe and to um, be accountable to the people we're here to serve. So I would like to see a day when all of these systems are working together to ensure that outcome. So for example, Ground Truth Solutions at the end of their focus group discussions could be letting people know if you've got anything else that you want to say that wasn't discussed or that you didn't feel safe discussing in this forum, you can feedback to us directly through Loop or we can get it to the other actors through Loop or reach in their surveys or um, on the BBC uh, Media Actions radio conversations or any, any sort of public broadcast that can be added on as an additional. This is a common collective service. It's a tool that anybody can use to do their work better and to reach further and then we'll try to respond to that and use that collective data to inform decisions. You can go back and see the qualitative actual stories, which makes advocacy, policy, influencing a lot stronger. Because it's independent, you know, the data is just sitting there and can be used to inform things. So um, this is something that can help organisations who are so committed to this already just to reach further across barriers. So say, for example, some organizations which are well committed have already built their own systems. Maybe they don't have it in a certain language that we do. Maybe they have it for people who are connected to the internet, but not people who are um, using voice. And we can help them just to extend further and gather that data and integrate it into their existing systems already. Or maybe people don't feel safe to feedback directly to them about something sensitive, or they've got feedback about another actor that's not... Um, directly linked to their programs or their activities, etc. And so far, have you? How far have you gotten in terms of of building these collaborative partnerships with the other actors in the space? Do you, do you meet on a regular basis? How how, how does that play out in, in concretely? Yeah, I think at the moment a lot of it's about discussions, about awareness, um, understanding each other's work, trying to find opportunities where in the same country. Um, 
trying to reach further. Um, we've got Tanya from the Core Humanitarian Standards. She's on our advisory board. So we're looking how can we link that into the self-verification processes. Um, yeah, I think there's a long, long way to go uh, of all of us being better connected and providing a more cohesive service. Um, and hopefully we can be you know, a strong part of that. And what is it you can use the others for? How can their data be useful and productive for Loop? Because what you mentioned is how they can they can use Loop for different things. But what can you use them for? Um, so I think those examples is about um, we they can help to promote Loop, um, and the data that they're getting in they can use to inform the different things that they're talking about. So for example, if you're talking about a radio. So um, Internews, for example, might be doing a broadcast or might be um, talking about a specific issue and can ask people to feedback through Loop. Then you can analyze that data or you can already get onto Loop statistics page and see what are the types of things that people are asking, what are some common questions or misinformation or queries or concerns that people, and then design a program specifically around that to respond to those. I think it's definitely a two-way in, in all cases. Loop isn't delivering a service that's not providing assistance we're just there to help be a tool for others to use um, and build off that data so so Robert could you give us an example from Somalia of how the organizations working with loop have taken the information you get from the people feeding in the information and change something about what they do uh, that's interesting um, because I like um, Alex I mentioned some time ago, um, there has been a lot of information that uh, basically comes from the field and comes from the beneficiary. Some of it, of course, uh, might not be what you, you're really into. But again, a lot of it into what you're really into. I think um, one good example is, of course, the way Somalia now is experiencing its um, fifth season of rain failure. And uh, the challenge that has come with that is that it is completely unprecedented and uh, we could be headed for a famine, uh, as they say, by next year. Now, uh, once we look at the information that we are receiving from the field, you can be able to quantify, uh, like Aviento also, I noted what Aviento said, you, the stories coming in will directly probably to what you think um, are the needs-based, you know, the, the kind of needs-based response. Because then um, they are, the people are very clear on what is it that they are facing. Uh, a lot of Somalis, of course, um, um, it's a pastoralist economy. So you, you will have water as, as, as a major issue uh, because of livestock. And a lot of displacements, of course, uh, because of the drought. And we have had what we are calling triple nexus. Uh, when you look back from 2020, we had the COVID and over to what you say, the desert locusts. For the first time, the desert locusts invaded the country um, for almost like uh, 25 years. Uh, we haven't had desert locusts. And then immediately after that, now we avoid this prolonged, uh, prolonged uh, uh, drought, which is now turning into a famine. The challenge is even more, and uh, we can see increased challenge, um, which tells us that uh, then the, the response, uh, and this is the thing, that people know what is it that they want. And if you are able to locate from these calls, you are able to locate 
from the various areas and the various responses, you can be able to classify them and categorize them in terms of needs, and that will aid in the response. And that's very, very important because um, we have always had the problem of what people want and what people, what what the, the, the humanitarian aid think that people want. There's this, there can always be this uh, huge uh, difference between the two. And so this to us is a very important tool because it can be able to quantify uh, based on the responses that um, are quantifiable and they also can be put in terms of priority. So it's only it's not only um, and also locations because locations are also different and, and and then populations are also different. Remember, we have now the biggest population I think of internally displaced anywhere, and this number has just um, say like um, doubled since uh, 2020, and therefore uh, we are finding now having to have more IDPs um, in, in, in the urban areas. And then again, the rural populations, all of who have got different needs. So the needs are not uniform. Um, so, so this is helping a lot to help to classify, to know the nature of responses, and uh, then to act. Uh, so it, it's a very important uh, uh, way of doing things. Yeah, I think that's what you describe here is a very different use case as compared to listening to feedback from people who have received assistance saying this was good, this was not so good. The issue of how you actually determine people's preferences, quantify that, and how that then feeds into an institutional response from the humanitarian community, for me that, that's a very different use case. So assessment is different from listening to feedback. And I would, when I look at your solution, I'm, I'm maybe a bit skeptical, uh, and, and maybe it's because I've worked with ACAPS where we are very focused on assessment and stuff like that. But where I, I can understand the, the value added on the feedback side of things, I, I think the assessment and actually understanding whether what you get is representative and, and how it links to, to other factors and other sources of data, that's a very big and very complex piece. And, and I would probably... I would probably want to dig into that a little bit more before I'm convinced that that uh, talk to loop has its strength in that area. But I, I, I maybe I'm too critical. If I may, from my perspective, I think it's just an indicator. So it's giving direction that can then be looked into further with representative data that's collected specifically for that purpose and has some strength. So it's it is there are biases in who is feeding back or knows about it, etc. And do you get the sufficient numbers? But it can definitely be used to give some direction. Yeah, that I agree with, right? I think you can use it for something. I think you can use it to flag things that have been overlooked. I think you can maybe use it for some kind of trend, but it's it's mainly red flags and maybe trends I think that you you will be able to see. Uh, I just think we have to be very careful um, because one of the, for me, one of the downsides of, of these tech platforms is they look so clean, they look so perfect, but but sometimes if the data is not representative, they can be very deceptive. Maybe I can jump back to you, Alex. So you, you've been working with Loop for a couple of years. You have deployed in six locations now. What, what does the future look like? Are you trying to scale globally? Uh, are you trying to deepen your commitment where you are? What What's the thinking? Um, 
so while we've been designing it for two years, uh, it's been deployed in Zambia and the Philippines for one year and Somalia only for a few months. So we're really, it's quite early days yet. We really want to go deeper and broader in every context that we're in to get that broader buy-in, um, to use the data at scale and how that can have an impact. Um, we're looking for impact at the individual exchanges to keep people safe, get what they need, greater accountability. The impact at projects and program level to make sure that as a sector we're accountable and delivering what people need and require in the most effective, efficient way. And system-wide trends and analysis to help inform some of these really broad sector-wide um, discussions and debates that are going on. But we're a long way away from that and it's not a silver bullet on its own. So first we want to go deep and broad in the context and then see where there's other um, organisations that invite us to come to their countries to work within the ecosystem that's already there to, to use that impact elsewhere. We've built the technology so that it can grow significantly and be a sort of sector-wide global good that can help to um, cut across many different areas, both sudden onset and then once we're in a country, we like to, you know, the idea is to stay and be a permanent part of that ecosystem. And so if we look five years down the road, what does success look like for Loop? Success looks like uh, that Loop is integrated into every um, Loop is uh, integrated into every uh, humanitarian, large-scale humanitarian response. The voices of local people are being used at the planning stages. Um, in cluster meetings to inform priorities and decisions going forward. Um, people, the SEA uh, reports are significantly larger, sexual exploitation and abuse, so people know that that's a safe way and we can use that to prevent further violence and abuse and exploitation of local people while it's happening rather than hear about it two years later um, and do something as a sector to, 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 you know, to come in and address those issues. The idea is to be integrated. Avianto, what, what's next for you in Indonesia? What are you going to do with Loop in the coming two years? Um, well, we hope that Loop can be one of the preferred ways of feedback mechanisms. Uh, we are not aiming for a single tools or single mechanism for feedback, but we want to have Loop as a preferred one. Uh, we've seen that digital technology has been uh, quite popular these days. Uh, not just uh, among the young, but also with the with the rest of the community. So we hope that we can reach more. Uh, we hope that organizations can uh, accept and use Loop uh, uh, for, so that they can improve their programming. Uh, they see it as uh, a, uh, uh, not a threatening tools uh, where they see a feedback mechanism, but as a way to improve their programs. They see that uh, fail failure can do happen or uh, challenges uh, does exist, uh, but then uh, there are ways to improve programs. And the last uh, is also having feedback uh, on the response operations. Also recognize that uh, maybe uh, there's can uh, there, there will not be one single agency that can solve everything so that uh, this uh, feedback can uh, encourage organizations to look to with the other organizations to foster more partnerships open up more collaborations uh, and then see how they can work together or how we can work together to solve the 
issues uh, in the field. And if we think in terms of volume, what's your dream scenario in terms of how many messages you receive every month and how many messages organizations send back to beneficiaries? Is it uh, two times what you have today? Is it five times? Or are you actually pretty close to where you are? Uh, I, I don't see it as... Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a bit different, so I don't see uh, uh, the number of stories as the targets, but uh, I see it that we need to, uh, we, we, in Indonesia we need to have mechanisms where we can scale up easily and also maybe re- uh, scaling down as well as needed because we have... Lots of uh, small-scale emergencies and also many disa- uh, big ones as, as well. So in times of like for this earthquake response, if there are a lot of stories coming in, uh, then we can expand and we can recruit uh, volunteers and moderators to uh, moderate the stories. Uh, and then when things come coming down, uh, we can also uh, scaling back and 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 adjust. So I think it's more of adaptable model compared to uh, targeting. Number of stories, Robert. If we think about Somalia, what, what's next for you and uh, and Loop? What what will you focus on for the next two years? Um, interesting. I'm in agreement, uh, obviously, with uh, what um, Alex and uh, Avianto have said. Uh, but just to add on to the fact that um, Somalia is in a very um, unique scenario because it's the only country that is transitioning, in this case, from uh, conflict to stabilization. And obviously, the power power balance has is, is constantly changing in this scenario because uh, previously the, the strong clans, Somalia operates on clan basis, and the strong clans always had the say when it came to um, you know resource sharing, and that that impacted uh, very negatively on the majority of the uh, you know the minorities, and this is actually a case where. The minorities at times might be even the majority in in, in some locations, but uh, because they nationally they are the minorities, then they will be they, they will again be consigned to um, you know uh, being the kind of uh, second class citizens in this scenario. So uh, this is a tool then that um, causes an imbalance or or provides an opportunity for the minorities. Uh, the marginalized to put their voices uh, because they have the tool. They, they, they cannot be at times be invited to meetings and decision-making, critical decision-making meetings where the powerful clans uh, reside or, the, or preside, but they can use their tool to project their voice um, into the platform that uh, informs the broader decision. So I think, Robert, you, you spoke very powerfully about disruption and how we need to change the, the drive power towards the people we serve and, and fundamentally reshape the way we do business. Now, in my experience, no matter how good your tool is, that doesn't just also generate. I think that is a struggle. And so I think, Alex, the million-dollar question to you is, you outlined your vision for what uh, talk to loop should be in the future What's your strategy for for actually achieving that? How how are you going to be a disruptor at the global level? I don't think Loop is a tool that can be used by actors who want to disrupt a system or who want to um, raise the voices of local people to give them better greater impact. It's not about Loop doing its own thing. And that's why we've got the structure that we've got. Um, and that's why we're trying to raise the voices of local people, what's important to them. 
Um, and so, I, I mean, the real question is, um, is the system, does it want to be accountable? And how will it respond to those voices? I, I will push you a bit on that because I think I think we have many people within the system who do genuinely want to be more accountable. I also think we operate under a perverse incentive structure that means that a lot of the institutions in the business find it difficult to change their behavior to become more accountable. So my question is how how will you position Talk to Loop so that you maximize the disruptive potential of the platform? I think the way we've positioned it is within a collective. So it's not about Loop disrupting something and therefore putting itself at risk. Of um, It's about Loop being available to be at wherever the system or the actors or the local population are and how they can use that to get to the next place and the next step. And in one country, that will be one type of approach. Avianto was talking about the the, the government-run systems and structures. Robert was talking about the political changes and the humanitarian system. And in Zambia, it's very different. A lot of it's about gender-based violence and how is it used there. Um, to me, it's not about Loop. Loop is a tool that can be used by a collective to take things and disrupt things at the next level. And you can only do that if you, are, um, if you have an independent structure and if you are open, use open data and the, the da everything that is shared and open and available that people can use it in the way that's relevant for them to disrupt the, the areas that they're working on and as that changes for that to evolve. I think that's an excellent answer to a very difficult question. I also think it's it's a good place to end our conversation today. I would like to thank you, Alex, and Avianto, and Robert for your insights and for your work with Talk to Loop. One of one of the things that really annoys me is that often when we talk about innovation, I feel like it's a tool with a humanitarian. Here, I get a strong sense of three humanitarians with a tool that you are trying to adapt into different contexts and really make as powerful in those contexts as, as you can. And I look forward to seeing what will happen with Loop in the coming years. And I'd like to wish you all of the best of luck with your, with your future work. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. About the rights and the freedom to be For people to choose their path in life and dream Souls of men beyond what you see Stages are different for each who will lead Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks Fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets Ask better questions, pick apart, educate And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate We are, we are searching for more Open up your mind beyond rich or poor For the truth You've been warned, humanitarian. <laughs>